Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Vision Sunday coming in two weekends time, but we really believe that God is imparting vision to us today and next week and the week after. This is vision month, vision year if you would like. But uh, we're very excited. We're in a series called Love Thy Neighborhood and we are asking the question... What would it look like for us to be the best people that our neighbors could have ever hoped to live next door to? This is to us as individuals in our lives, but also to us as a church. What would it look like for us to be the best church this neighborhood could have ever seen? Because not the fact that we've got the, we're trying to be the best church in the city. We're not competing with any other church. We want to say, what would it look like to be the best church for the city? That we set up our church to host the city, to love the city, to, to welcome people who are far from God, people who don't know church, that they'll find family and, and feel comfortable here and be loved here. We say, what is, what is the call that God's called us to love our neighborhood? What does it look like? And that's what we're investigating in this series. So if you're okay with it, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10. It's going to be on the screen as well. And something that we are getting in the habit of doing here, just uh, be okay with it. We're not in Zumba class of getting up and down, up and down, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time this morning because we're going to read the word of God as standing together. And it's a, maybe a small thing for you, but for me it's a big thing in the sense of the fact that the Word of God has highest authority in our lives. And when someone important comes in or something important happens, we stand. So I'm asking more than you standing on your feet. Could you stand in your, with your heart as well and say, we're going to engage with the Word of God together. Let's read it. One day an expert in the religious law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Just a quick pause there, just some context. If Jesus telling the story to the people, they mention there's this road that's linking Jerusalem to Jer- Jericho, and a guy was beaten up. This wouldn't surprise them. They wouldn't be shocked. They wouldn't be going, that's terrible. Why? Because this was a usual occurrence on that road. From Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho, the road was notorious for thugs and brigands. You didn't go there if you could. You avoided it at all costs. So much so the road that way was called the way of blood. Because it was known, it was notorious. Don't go there, you're going to get beaten up. So it was like, yep, we, we get you, we hit the story. Everyone okay? Let's carry on. By chance, a Pharisee came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A Levite, a temple assistant, walked over and looked at him, lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man... He felt compassion for him. Quick, another pause, very quickly. I can imagine the people, they hear a way of blood. Yeah, that's, that's normal priest. Levi, yeah, we know those people. Then suddenly this Jewish audience here, Jesus say the words, a Samaritan, and all of them take a breath. Where, where's the story going? And actually they're realizing, this is not just any old Samaritan. Jesus is portraying the Samaritan as a good Samaritan. Quick little aside, a good Samaritan in that culture was an oxymoron. Those two words did not go together. A good Samaritan. You know, it's like an oxymoron for those who don't understand what that word means. It means someone describes that person's pretty ugly. 
Now, two words that don't go together to describe something. Or, or something like a good Nickelback song. No, just don't go together. Or an intelligent blue ball supporter. You know, it just doesn't work. Super 14, Super 18, whatever it is around the corner. My brother's a blue Bulls fan, so I'm allowed to have a dick. But anyway, but you see, they didn't go together because Jews and Samaritans were neighboring communities that had a lot of history. Bad history. Decades, centuries long of history. The Jews saw them as half-breeds. They called them unclean dogs. And they were on the outside of God's promises looking in from a distance. These were two communities, they were neighbors, but they hated each other. Good Samaritan did not fit in their dictionary. No clue. So let's move on. See this. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we engage with your word, not just spectate, but actually participate with your word. With our hearts open, I thank you that you would come and you would minister to our hearts. And lead to us living lives that are changed, that are different. I thank you, Jesus, that not, not one person today would walk into this room and walk out of it unchanged. We thank you that your word is powerful and effective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you sit, why don't you say hi to someone very quickly and then we'll get going. Whether you're in church or if you're out of church, the Good Samaritan story or even just the name Good Samaritan won't be too disfamiliar for you. It's been used in, in, in secular settings, it's been used to describe organizations, it's been used in, in any sphere of the people who are good natured, a Good Samaritan to describe someone who does a deed. But I believe this familiar story is something for us this morning. And I want to give us simply four perspectives from this text that we must own if we are to love our neighborhood like we've been called to. Everyone all right for that? Here we go. So the first perspective that I want to understand, it'll come on the screen on my right or my left. See, we've got screens all over, hey? Wherever you want to look. Mountain on our left, screens in front of us. Life is good. But the first perspective is this, that I am the lawyer. So the story begins with Jesus talking to a man. The lawyer approaches him and asks him this question and engages Jesus in this discourse saying, how do I achieve eternal life? And Jesus then says to him, how do you read the law? I love how Jesus does this. Like an awkward moment. Jesus expecting a quick answer, but Jesus doesn't do that. He steps back and gives space and says, engage with me. Jesus doesn't want to just give us rules and regulations. He, he says, engage with me. Let's, let's fashion this thing out together. And Jesus says, how do you read it? And the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor. Jesus goes, you're right. Now go do it. But then there's lines that I love and I've underlined them. I, well, I don't love them, but they resonate with me because I think it's who I am. There's a line at the end of it that says, the man seeking to justify himself. I don't know if you've seen those words. My Bible have underlined them quite painfully. Because as I read it, I realized that actually I am the lawyer. I don't know about you. I'm, I see the lawyer. No, this, this is what it is. He's got the, the, all that knowledge up here. And he's trying to get around this thing. So he asks you, seeking to justify himself, who is my neighbor? And I can imagine him all smiling at his friends like, 
Let's see how this guy does it. How's he going to define? Is he going to say everyone? How's he going to do it? And uh, I just see in this myself as I go, man wanting to justify his actions. I don't know about you, but I'm a man, if I'm honest and can confess in this place, that I love to justify my prejudice. I love to justify my apathy. I'm always ready with a disclaimer. Maybe you are similar to me if you said things like this, because I've heard them come out of my mouth. I know I'm not supposed to react that way, but... I know I shouldn't have done that, but... Let me explain. Or the biggest one. I'm not a racist, but... Anyone did that one. To my shame, I'm being honest here. But I, I want to say in this understanding of the story that God is wanting to for us to take ownership of who this story is. We've got to understand from the very beginning that I am the lawyer. Years ago, when I was a little boy, at, uh, growing up in Zimbabwe, I was part of the, 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 the rebel crew at the children's church. I liked it, you know, if there can be such a rebel crew in the children's church. But I was a little kid with the red bowl haircut, you know, the, the bowl haircut done by mom, looking good. Um, and I was about eight or nine, and we had a game at our children's church. We had an ice cream man who came. And he used to sell ice cream after the church, and, and he had a packet of chips, big packets of small chips on the, on the back of his bike. And I remember, I, I, we used to have a game, because we used to get a little bit excitable after church, being locked up for so long, we came out, we had a game, where two of the guys were distracted in my front, and we would see if we could come and sneak and take a packet of chips on the back. And, and it was part of the game, we actually didn't want, it was just part of the fun, and we would laugh, and, and he would catch us, and hey, you kids, and give us a slap, and we'd drop and run, and laugh, 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 and try again. One week, he didn't see us, and we made away with a whole bunch of packets of chips. Away. It's amazing! Look at us for free. And as we thought we were homebound, we just felt this big hand grip our hand, drag us into an office as a lady with the most terrifying name of all, Auntie Lynn. <laughs> Everyone in, in children's church in those days was terrified by this lady, Auntie Lynn. But she dragged us in and she spoke to us. But then she went one step further. Our parents came and she took this little redhead boy with a bowl haircut. All the way to mom and dad's car, I said, tell them what you did. And it was garbage. took a pack of chips. Oh, it's not a big deal. And then she said the words that have haunted me since then. She said, no, call it what it is. And then I was like, and she forced me. And as I started to try and say it, the tears so well, I started choking, the little guy, I started crying. I said, I stole a pack of chips. And the realization that I was a thief. It wasn't just a fun game, but those words and maybe a silly thing, and I moved on, and, and Auntie Lynn, the fear of that subsided, and, 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 and the, the sting of the, the snack on the way home from Dad subsided, you know, and life carries on. But I thank God for Auntie Lynn, who said those words, call it what it is. Because I think in our nature, we're people who love to change things, love to put disclaimers, love to soften the blow of our sinfulness, our, our wickedness, and we love seeking to justify ourselves. We have follow-ups, and we have disclaimers. I'm, I'm not a racist, but... And we allow ourselves to get away with things. Call it what it is. I am the lawyer. Second point this morning. Is that I am the Pharisee and the Levite. I am the Pharisee. See this man, the Pharisee, the scripture, I've underlined it as well. His reaction. Jesus starts telling the story, and as, as he tells the, the stories of the Pharisees, and then the Levites. Let me tell you who these guys were in that society. They were the rock stars of the day. They weren't your, your run-of-the-mill, your religious man, pious and quiet on the side of the road. No, these were the, the guys that everybody in society wanted to be like. Every family wished they had one. Their kids would grow up. The education system was to push people to become like a Pharisee. 
to become like a Levite. And then, and these guys, so everyone else, the society as well, that was based on who was in and who was out. And do you know who determined that? The Pharisees did. You're in, you're out. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing, they were the final say on everything. They knew it, the law, and everyone deferred to them. So when everyone saw them, so I can imagine you see the Pharisees, they're like, oh, oh, Pharisee. This is the guy who's going to win the story. Yeah, yeah, there we go. The Pharisees, yeah. But I, I see this, the Pharisee, a man who had, who had so much authority and power, a man who knew the scriptures backwards, the so much so they used to tie the scriptures on their, their foreheads, and they used to tie them on their heart, they knew the law backwards. These men, this man sees a man who's on the side of the road, desperate for help, and I've underlined my Bible, what he did, he crossed over to the other side, didn't just five, five step or pretend he didn't see him, he actually saw him, and chose to go a different route, and walked a different way away, and hurried on his way. Probably where he was going? Sorry, I can't get to that. I've got to get to church. I've got to attend to God's stuff. Sorry, don't delay me. And, and, and as I read this, I realize that this guy probably was, was if he said, if I stop, a guy, and you know, there's laws, he's, and he could have justified as well, there's blood on him, and I can't get blood on me because then I'll be unclean. I won't be able to perform what God wants me to do if I stop and help this guy. And he got so much caught up in his way of what the law would say, but actually what, what was required of him in the moment. He was scared of what people would think, what my family would think, my reputation. And there's a, a story, a man named Francis Chan tells a story. He's a, a, he was a pastor in America. And he said, he says, imagine if I call my little girl. He says, come my, my girl, come here. And he says, so I want you to go clean your room. Go clean your room. And his daughter disappears for 30 minutes. Then she comes out to death. I'll be in the room. I've been really thinking about what you said. Yeah? Thought about it. I actually wrote it down several times. I stuck it up on my wall. Go clean the room. I looked up in the Greek and the Hebrew and I translated it and it looks so good. Yeah, I worked out the tenses. Go. It's an active thing. Clean it you know, to do. You know, your room. That's a noun and the thing. I'm trying to work it all out. And actually, some of my friends are coming over later and we're going to get in the group and we're going to discuss what it would look like if we as kids started to clean our rooms. And we wanted to start this, this small group set up. Dad, what do you think? He goes, no, I want you to clean your room. And this is the thing. And this is the problem. I think inside of us, a lot of us is, who've been in Christians for a while, we get so caught up with, with trying to look at the, what the scripture says. And maybe this is just me. Trying to work out all the different tenses. When, and, and on the way of doing that, I'm bypassing what he's actually just told me to do. I'm the Pharisee. God has not called us to have our hands clean. And come to him like this. Look, I, I, I didn't engage with anyone today. This God, look at me. God's saying, no, would you engage with the people around you? I am the Pharisee. Thirdly, this morning, I'm the lawyer. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the broken man on the side of the road. There's a man in the story. Jesus said, a man who on the way from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho was beaten up by thieves, left broken, bloody, helpless, half dead on the side of the road. I want to tell you, sir, man, that I am that man in the story. I'm the the helpless, the helpless man in desperate need of salvation. Not just a one sort of moment, but in desperate need of intervention in my life from a source that's higher than me. The, that story Jesus says in this parable, he says he's half dead. Can I tell you the scriptures go on to tell us later that actually you and I are not just half dead without help. We are dead. We're not just battling for life. We are dead. We are helpless. No ability on our own to even cry out, help. No ability to even to, to make to do CPR on ourselves or get someone to come and do it. We are dead. And this is why I love this. To understand that we are the broken man. This good Samaritan story, this parable, is not some moralistic tale to get people being a better people. 
It's not a moralistic story saying be better. Because what you say, if you walk into a graveyard and you say to dead people, be better people. Do you know what they'll do? Nothing. They're dead. They can't. They can't obey you. They can't do anything. They are helpless. And that we have to understand that we are like that with our Christ. I am the lawyer. I am the Pharisee. I am the broken man. Here's my fourth point. It's that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Let me tell you, sir, man, that Jesus left heaven. Like the good Samaritan in this story, he crossed the great divide where no one else could get across, where, where the Pharisee, where the lawyer, where everyone, the helpless man on this side, no one could get across that divide. Jesus crossed it. Jesus, like the Samaritan, was despised and rejected. And he rescued you and I. He waded into our mess. He waded into our sin and our self-righteousness. And he actually became our sin. And he poured himself out for you and I. I love this, the fact that that road, linking Jerusalem and Jericho, was called the way of blood. And Jesus tells a story, hinting at something greater. That something was going to come on the way of blood. There was a way, a place of destruction and brokenness and was known for that. Jesus said, I'll come and I'll pay the way with my blood. This radical, radical Jesus. Can I tell you, he came to rescue us from our self-justifying ways. Your self-justifying, I'm not a racist, but I, I shouldn't do this, but he came to redeem you, sir. He came to redeem me out of those ways, those tendencies. He came to rescue me from my religious pride, where I think I'm in and they're out. He came to redeem me. Thirdly, He came to rescue us from our mess, our brokenness, our sin, our death. You see, for us, we have to read this correctly, because actually this story of the Good Samaritan is told in response to a question, how do I inherit eternal life? Not how do I be a better person? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks the parable of the Good Samaritan. You don't want to miss this. Because actually what Jesus was saying to this man was that he's saying, I actually, I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart because if I've got your heart, then I can have your hands. I don't want your hands without your heart. I don't want your efforts without your heart. I don't want your attempts to be better because actually it's rubbish to me. Here's the thing, the guy actually answered correctly. He said this, how do you, how do you read it? Jesus asked the reading of the story. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, you, you read it correctly. But that's the order. That's what we got to understand. The order was this, if we love God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, all our strength, the default of that, the outflow, will be that we'll love our neighbors. I pray that we will not be a community that seems to be great neighbors, but miss this. Because after a while, we'll get tired, and we'll start justifying. After a while, we'll get tired, and we'll start avoiding. After a while, we'll get tired, and we'll start realizing that we're a mess ourselves, so give me space. We've got to understand that I'm the lawyer. That I am the Pharisee. I'm the broken, helpless man. But Jesus is my good Samaritan, who redeems me from all those things. Let me tell you, We've got to receive it in our hearts. Own it, own it, receive it, and then respond, as Leanne mentioned earlier. Receive and then respond. Because we've said this before, on the other side of our obedience, people are waiting. So I'll tell you, on the other side of Jesus, the beer for the Pharisee, to that, the, 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 the primary good Samaritan, Jesus said, I'm going to send you from heaven to earth. 
on the other side, Jesus' obedience of stepping out and saying, I'm going to go, Father. People were waiting. You and I were waiting in desperate need for Him. So I want to tell you again that on the other side of your obedience at your school, on the other side of your obedience at your workplace, on the other side of your obedience at your book club, at your, on the other side of your obedience on the treadmill at the gym, I'm there sometimes. Once or twice a month. On the other side of your obedience to your immediate family, people are waiting. Desperate. And that's why I want to land with this, my favorite story. Possibly my favorite story, actually, in the recent years. There was a man in history named Nicholas Winton. Nicholas Winton was born in 1906 and uh, in his early 30s as an accountant in... Yes, God uses accountant. It's amazing. Did I see that hand? Was he an accountant? Yes, Lord. Thank you. But this man, he used to live in England, and, uh, and uh, as a, in the 1930s, as you'll know, if you're a his- historical uh, buff at all, or if you just pay attention to Time magazine or the news, is that World War II started to break out, and Adolf Hitler and his uh, Nazi regime started to march across the Eastern European front and take over country after country and, and start to send people to, to um, Auschwitz and the different camps and to their death. And this man, there people read it in England, reading in the news, oh, terrible. Oh, who's good? someone needs to stop this. Yeah, oh, terrible. We've got to do something. Nicholas Winton, going about his counseling, here. this. He had a two-week holiday. And in his two-week holiday, two weeks a year, this man, Nicholas Winton, got on a train and went all the way to Czechoslovakia, modern-day Czechoslovakia. When he got there, he hooked up with an organization and saw all the, the chaos and the fear that was coming. And the rumors that they were true, that the, the Nazi regime was getting closer and closer and closer. And parents were freaking out. Parents were, were being so worked up saying, we need to get out of here. But they said, if we can't get out of here, at least could you take our kids? Could you, could you take our kids? And this man set up a little table. He had no resources, no political credentials, no authority in any sphere. But he said, someone's got to do something. And he set up a table. And he started to say, cool, just, just give me papers. Took their names and a little book. You open a little book and start to write down names and addresses and, and parents' names of little kids. And he started to organize with his own money, tickets on, on trains. And he used to bribe conductors to let them on, to get them safe passage to countries because it was illegal, this. And he, and he sent some telegrams to, that, to the other people to say, will they be able to be received? And he got, didn't get response back in time. So he thought, I can't do leaders. And he managed to get 669 children onto a train. Their parents waving them goodbye. You're going to be okay. I'll see you on the other end. None of them saw their parents again. These little kids and as babies, as they were left to the to face the Nazi regime coming. Nicholas Winton, his two weeks holiday, sent 669 children back to England. When he went and met them on the side, and he helped them through with his mother to to get find them homes and orphanages and space and families who would take these children in. This man, Nicholas Winton, got back from his two week holiday, a book full of names, addresses. Children's names, parents, photos, those things. Closed the book and put it up in his attic. Went back to accounting. No one knew. Forty years later, 1980s, his wife was cleaning out the attic. His wife did not know what had happened. His wife went in the attic, found his book, and we picked it. What is this? What is this? And he said, no, no, it's, just, it's something I did in the 30s. And she said, no, no, this is history. This is ridiculous. God, you can't let this go. So she went to the BBC. And there was a BBC where they thought this was amazing, so they invited him to a show in a room like this. And he was sitting there, now he's an older man, gentleman, older gentleman in the 70s now, sitting there, glasses, thick glasses, and in the, in the, in the way they did in the, the BBC in those days, very starchy, and they, wow, they told the story of it, 
And they said, this man, Nicholas Winton, saved 669 children's lives in the 30s. Everyone clapped. That's it. Then came the dramatic moment. He said, listen, Nicholas Winton, just to let you know, the lady sitting on your right today and thing was one of those children. And Nicholas turns and the woman starts weeping. She says, thank you. Thank you. Then she takes a step and Nicholas Winton, no, no, no breath left in her, she's like shocked by this revelation, says, she says, is there anyone else in this room who owes their life to this man? The whole audience, whether some of those children who had that stage, they stood and applauded this man. He sat there, hand in head, weeping at what had happened. This man, Nicholas Winton, you can watch this all on YouTube. I'm not that clever, this is what YouTube is. But this man, Nicholas Winton, from then he's become knighted. He's become, uh, he's become the patron saint of children of Czechoslovakia. Because actually what they've worked out, that those 669 children have had children, and they've had children. And they say because of that, the mathematics they say is that Nicholas Winton has got a legacy of 15,000 people from their one act. Two-week holiday has affected 15,000 people. Two weeks. When interviewed, this, this amazing man, he died last year, over the age of 100. And he was building old-age homes in his spare time. And they said to him, Nicholas, why did you not, why did you not talk about it for so long? And he says, the past is full of enough problems. He says, the past is done. He says, the present and future is full enough of problems of their own. And, 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 and that was the, the marking of this man. As I watched the story the one Monday morning by myself, I wept and wept and I wept as I heard the voice of the Good Samaritan, Jesus. He said, I'll, I'll give up everything to come after you. And I'll cross the divide. I'll come, I'll give up anything. And not just a two-week holiday, I'll give up my life to see you thrive. Not just you, but generations and generations who will live in the fullness of the gospel. And Jesus saying, will you do the same, my son? Will you do the same for me? Will you do the same? I want us to finish this morning by reading a scripture, Matthew chapter 10. Someone needs to... Jesus says this to his disciples. Fresh-faced young guys. He said this, Jesus sends his twelve harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring help to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously. So live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Jesus' words to you and I. It's not a call. Maybe you've sat there for so long and you've justified yourself like me at times. Or you've, or you've just avoided things because you're saying, there's too much, there's too much pain. Where do I begin? Jesus says, start right here in the neighborhood. You don't need to be dramatic. You don't need a platform. You don't need equipment. Just start with those people next door to you. Start with your area of influence in your school, in your workplace, across from you at your treadmill. Will you open your heart to me and let me flood your heart so that you can be my hands and feet? I want to pray. Father, this morning as we gather around your word and we look at this parable of the Good Samaritan, it's not a call for us to be better, try harder, be stronger. It's a call to look to you and say, Jesus, I am the lawyer. Say, I want to call it like it is. I don't want to justify. 
any longer. I don't want to make excuses any longer. Jesus, I am the Pharisee. I've been avoiding doing church things, but actually my heart is rotten to people. My heart, my hands are too clean. They're not embracing the brokenness of friends and family around me. Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm calling what it is. Jesus, actually, in fact, I'm the broken man. I'm in desperate need for you. I can't live one day without you. I need you to breathe your life in me. I need you to come and redeem me and rescue me. Draw me to yourself. Because Jesus, you're my good Samaritan. And as you rescue me, as you pour your life into my heart, into my mind, into my will, into my emotions, into my strength, I'll be your hands. And I'll cross the road. I'll step out of my comfort zone. I'll pick up the call to go to those lost and broken, hurting people in this neighborhood that I can represent you, my good Samaritan. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.